Hi, I'm Sarah Keeley, a personal coach, and this is Into Focus, a podcast about chronic pain, mental health, well-being and lifestyle. Any tips or opinions mentioned in this podcast aren't intended as a substitute for professional medical advice. These are just our thoughts and opinions, and we appreciate that everyone's different. Hope you enjoy! Hello everyone. So uh, for anybody who's listening today, uh, welcome. I'm here with the lovely Sam Keeley today. And if you may have noticed, we have the same last name. Uh, So he's my brother-in-law. Spoilers. Uh, So say hello to everyone, Sam. Hello. uh, Nice to meet everyone. So tell the audience a little bit about who you are and why you're here on the podcast today. Yeah, so I'm currently a forensic therapist. Um, I'm a trainee forensic psychologist as well, and I also work on the board of a charity that's involved in uh, therapy, delivering therapy to to um, members of the community. Wow, sounds really fascinating. So um, I know that we've talked a little bit in the past about the work that you do, and it sounds amazing, but uh, I know that you've um, recently sort of started out with your own practice, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, so really, I'm just interested in talking to you about mental health and that side of things, uh, and seeing what your perspective as a, as a kind of uh, psychologist is on that. Yeah, I, I think it's a, um, I think it's an area that's come into the media a bit more mm. recently as well uh, whatever reason that might be but it's um yeah I mean I, I'm not I'm not a big fan of the media and what what kind of focus they put on things and spin they put on things but mm. but with mental health and bringing it into uh into the uh increased sight of people mm. that's uh, that's that's really positive I think so um tell me what interested you in psychology in the first place um it well, it's actually it actually goes back to when I was doing my A levels. Um, it's actually one of the, I I think back when I was doing when I was in sixth form at school, mm-hmm. I identified going into the law or going into psychology as my two top uh, kind of goals careers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I did both of them at uh, A level, and I was actually my top choice actually ended up being law, mm-hmm. um, but I was told that it was going to be real hard to get a, uh, get a placement and get any experience in that area. So I, uh, I kind of did a combination of mixed law and psychology together and ended up with forensic psychology, oh. which is um, kind of focused on crimes that people commit and trying to stop people commit crimes. Um, but overall, my, well, my main interest is, is it's kind of underpinned by wanting to help mm. and wanting to make a difference. And uh, yeah, I think that's, that's the main the main motivation. Mm. And it sounds like such a, I mean, for most people who aren't involved in it, I'm sure it sounds like such a interesting but kind of scary area to be working in. How do you kind of deal with that? Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's it, you definitely come across a lot of extreme mm. behaviours that you wouldn't see or even hear about. Mm. Um, you also see like the other, the other side, for example, if you think about in the media when you see... Um, I don't know certain types of offenders who mm. were really frowned upon by the community. Um, you also see the other side of that in terms of what's made them do that, what mm. what upbringing they've had, uh, where they where they've come from, and basically you understand why they've done what they've done a mm. bit a bit more. So it gives you a, a totally different perspective. But yeah, certainly uh, there's a lot more. Um, it's well, it's very interesting. It's not. It's never not interesting because mm. um, mm. the kind of things you see and hear. Yeah, and I I suppose what you were saying about um, the types of behaviour that you come across, I think it's really key that it's the behaviour and not the person, because I think the media, like you were saying, has this tendency to kind of villainise people 
and a lot of the time the crimes they commit have committed is you know pretty horrendous to think yeah. about yeah but it's, it's you know there's that differentiation yeah I, I remember example um one of the clients i worked with um he ended up after he'd finished working with me ended up going on to commit another offense mm. um basically he, he wasn't receptive to therapy in the slightest so mm. But then there was a, there was it was in the media and I, I remember um, just seeing how the how the media portrayed him. Just, mm. I just came across one of the news stories one day, and uh, yeah, it's it's very warped and very uh, they don't portray the, the whole the whole picture. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's fascinating, and I could, we could probably talk about that all day. But uh, to make it a little bit more relevant for the people <laughs> who hopefully are listening, um, so. Why do you think mental health uh, is becoming so sort of in vogue to talk about these days? Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one. Um, well, genuinely, I don't really know the answer to that, but um, I think it's probably coinciding with a few different things that are changing. For example, if you look at men's um, mental health mm. and the the focus on that and the stigma that used to be there and probably still there a bit, mm. that seems to be going down um, or decreasing. So certainly, if you think maybe 20, 30 years ago or mm. more, um, kind of men were, you know, well, it was that really bad um, view that men needed to be super strong, never, yeah. never uh, emotional. Uh, yeah, all, all that. I, th- I think I, I see quite a lot of evidence that that's decreasing, mm. but it's still there a little bit. So maybe that's going, maybe that's connected to it in some way. Mm. Um, yeah, so I don't really know the answer to that. Uh, it's it's an interesting one, and I think what you were saying, um, there's so many factors, like the culture yeah. is changing in yeah. certain places, social media and the effect that the media has. Um, and I think there's more of a... Uh, people just want to understand other people now. Uh, there's a kind of an interest in... I mean, hopefully people listening to this podcast, it might be because <laughs> they're interested, and, and I don't know if we necessarily had that yeah, sort of 50 I, years ago. Yeah, I mean, maybe another... And obviously, there's 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 research ongoing as well. The whole mm. well, it's been ongoing for hundreds of years, really, into psychology. Um, and so may, maybe another factor is that there's more things being researched that's more relevant to certain people, mm. or it's um, more attractive to the media to broadcast. I think it's gonna get more readers. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, it's an interesting one, probably like you say, with a lot of a lot of different factors. Mm, mm, absolutely. Um, I'm I'm fascinated what you were saying about research because uh, one thing that comes up with the media is that you know the headlines are out there that this new thing is is taking the psychology world by storm uh, but then you do a little bit more digging and it turns out that it's complete you know utter nonsense and it's a pseudoscience or you know it's the research wasn't really founded or it was sponsored by somebody who had an alternative agenda how do people I mean, this is probably a relatively straightforward <laughs> answer or question. Uh, how do people kind of vet the the um, what's coming at us in the media with terms of psychology? Yeah, it, well, it's for the ordinary person, it's probably quite tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who work in there, or professionals, or even um, it, well, even students at university, mm-hmm. they they have the access to be able to do it because the kind of the, the the core way to do it would be to actually look at the research itself. Mm. Um, but obviously a lot of people will have access to that. Mm. Um, so all I can say is, is go via the GP, mm. go via the NHS. Um, 
they are they're people who are they have access to the evidence mm. um, and they're there to, to give you a free service, give you free advice mm. related to it. Um, and obviously if they can't do it, they can signpost you on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean for me and people people who have access to the research, you can the best way to do it is literally just to go read um, read the papers, read the evidence that it's based mm. on. Um, mm. Look, think about the the like you say the. Um, possible motivations of the researcher mm. if they're <laughs> independent by finances yeah um or also think about the flaws in the in the research mm. in the actual methodology as well yeah. um but yeah for the for the ordinary ordinary person out there i'd, I'd recommend the nhs and the gp mm. first in the first case yeah it's funny because i wouldn't have even thought about that but now that you've said it i thought oh yeah of course <laughs> they they you know have access to that they're our national health service um for those of us in england uh or the UK, and and of course you that that seems like the logical place to go. Now you've said it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, and even if they can't answer the question, they can they can signpost mm. you on, and they can identify the other alternatives of sources. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, we won't, I will I won't mention um, my alternative view of the NHS in terms of their downfalls of. Mm. Uh, yeah, we could start and, a whole yeah. other conversation about that. I'm <laughs> sure today, and uh, lots of people listening. Uh, probably have their own opinions on that as well um so i noticed that you know uh when talking about mental health uh, a lot of us the language is changing as well at the moment so how important do you think the language that we use when we're talking about mental health is nowadays yes i mean that's a really interesting one for my for my role um which is predominantly delivering therapy um conducting assessments in terms of the language i use with clients it's incredibly important mm. um for example, if I'm delivering therapy and I I want to deliver that person some skills, some knowledge mm. to use in their own life, the type of language I use has got to be really motivational. It's got to be really mm. um, collaborative, not directive. All, mm. all, all those, yeah, all those kind of phrases, but they're all really important to kind of increase the client's motivation mm. and increase the help that I can I can give. Mm. Um, in, I mean, in other in other areas, for example. Because my, my role is not just delivering therapy, but training training people in mm. mental health. Um, so obviously you've got to make sure your language is um, suited to their to their needs and their uh, their knowledge, and mm. not using too many. Uh, we call it psycho babble. Uh, okay. We don't want to use psycho babble too much. Um, so yeah. Explain that the psycho babble. What's yeah, that? yeah. I mean, <laughs> we people who work in the in the profession, we we want to avoid psycho babble because mm. if we're going to use loads of terms loads of i mean if you think of i'm just thinking of an example um there's loads of acronyms and all that kind of stuff so we've got um emdr oh, which yeah. is which is my uh, my favorite therapy at the moment um but yeah trying to stay away from me uh, acronyms from long psychological phrases that the ordinary person might not yeah. know what i mean um, okay so it's it's kind of making sure that you're not uh, I suppose, uh, uh, I don't know how to describe this, but psychologizing people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not like saying, oh, you've got this thing and we're using this complicated yeah, thing because even it, though you know all about that, it's a bit alienating yeah. to the person. And I, I mean, I've actually seen a, um, a psychological report written recently and it's and it's not for a lay person, it's for other professionals. Mm. And even a few of us read it and we couldn't understand it either. It was just paragraphs of psychological terms yeah with no real meaning well no clear meaning yeah context um, yeah. yeah so it's yeah so that's clarity of, of language is important 
so I guess you're trying not to psychologize people um, uh, and and trying not to alienate them with the language that you're using, right? Yeah, because um, I, I mean, I imagine if you if you're trying to well, if you're trying to help people and you're trying to deliver therapy and you're trying to make people better, mm-hmm. um, you need to you need to work with them. You need to fill them with motivation, fill them with optimism. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, it's all really, really important. Mm. And there's been uh, a lot of changes I've noticed recently in just the terms of the language that uh, day-to-day people use in terms of things like, you know, we don't say, oh, you're mental anymore because it's just horrible. And, and, you know, using things like, oh, it's just my OCD when that's a medical condition that somebody has and to, to use it to um, instead of just being particular, to use it as like a hand-in phrase. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, can be quite important for those people. Yeah. Um, what What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and and, and it can quite you can quite easily minimise mm. the difficulties that people with these conditions have as well. I mean, another example, more in the crime related areas, people really easily using the, the term psychopath. Um. Calling people psychopaths, um, calling people uh, saying that people have split personalities. Yeah. All all these kind of misused phrases. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'd say the more the more misused these phrases are, um, the more unhelpful it is mm. for both people who have these disorders. But maybe maybe they haven't um, come forward and tried to get a diagnosis of this. Mm, um, mm. Maybe due to the minimization, maybe mm. they feel oh, oh, it's just it's just one of these things. Yeah. yeah. Um, when actually it's not and actually they need to be seeking support. Mm, mm. And that's such an important thing, I think. Um, that that something that we were talking about just there or we hinted on which was um kind of myths like if you have certain tendencies then you're automatically a psychopath or that if you you know uh if you have up and down mood swings that you're bipolar um so what you were just talking about i mean we've already kind of touched on this but um you know what are um some of the common misconceptions about um mental health or the myths that you hear um, I think from from my own perspective in terms of psychology, mm-hmm. um, one of the, I, one of the most frequent things I'm I'm called or it, probably not in a serious way, but a mind reader. Oh right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I remember being warned about this when I was in uh, when I was in sixth form. Um, the the teacher warned us all: if you go into psychology, you'll be you will be known as mind readers. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so I mean, I mean, the the other ones, especially thinking of offenders again uh, I think it's similar to what we touched on before but um, the the fact that a lot of people might believe that offenders are born bad or people are born mm. bad or um, because people behave in certain ways they can't change mm. um, when actually change is possible for everyone mm. um, and the well the only person who can the main person who can change is themselves um, mm. they've got to want to change they've got to be motivated to change um, they might need support in that change, but that's fine, and that's what um, professionals are here to, to help them with. Mm. And that's such a powerful concept, the 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 thought that it's possible that you mm. can change. And you don't have to believe thoroughly that it's possible, but just a little bit of a hint that you there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel or that something can be different yeah, to absolutely. what it is now. And, and even even just the thought that, oh, I'll give it a go. Mm. Mm. That, I mean, I'm, I'm working with someone at the moment who... Um, presents exactly that way is he's gone through a really really difficult upbringing lots of traumatic events lots mm. of um, abuse 
and he he doesn't really believe that psychology can help mm. but he um is willing to go back there mm, mm. And, and that's the most important yeah, um and i'm doing i'm delivering some emdr therapy to him at the moment and that that willingness to just give it a go mm. is actually building his belief because he's seeing it be effective yeah yeah um, absolutely i think so often we're we're scared about what the outcome might be or whether or not something will work or whether or not we're being vulnerable and, and putting ourselves out there but just that ability to just say okay i'm going to try this yeah and see what happens yeah absolutely uh, that's yeah. uh and, and some ty- some some things are not effective for, for some mm. people but there's enough things out of there out there that you will find something that will help you yeah yeah um, well that's made me think actually because as a coach obviously i'm uh, not not a trained therapist but uh, there's crossovers and also differences in the work that we do um with coaching we we tend to stay away from advice we tend to t- stay away completely from directional which i know is sort of similar but um and we obviously don't diagnose or anything like that but um where do you think that kind of um, coaching style comes into what the work that you do? Um, well, I mean, a, a lot of the work when we're delivering therapy is probably where the crossover, I'd say, mm-hmm. is. Um, but therapy is only one part of my of my role, really. Um, so, so, yeah, in terms of therapy, I'd say a lot of crossover in terms of building motivation, mm-hmm. um, guiding people to the, to the aims that they want to achieve. Yeah. Um, so... But, but like I said, like, therapy is only one part of my, my role. Uh, assessments, um, there's there's some diagnoses in, in my role as well. Mm. Um, giving consultancy, giving advice and delivering research is, mm. is probably where our, our roles differ. Yeah. Um, although I, I, saying that, I don't know too much about yeah. <laughs> the role of a coach. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, what you were just saying about... Um, the the things that they want to achieve i think that's something maybe a myth that i've thought in the past before i knew more about it was that therapy is purely past like you talk about your past and that's it uh, and and i know that from talking to you in the past we've found out that actually a lot of it is about the change that you can make in the present and what you want for the future and and linking that to the past and um can you tell, yeah, tell, sort yeah. of expand on that? Yeah, I mean, as yeah, as, as an example, um, if I'm delivering a CBT based um, intervention with a client, we will we will do some focus on the past first. Mm. Um, we might want to increase their insight in terms of how they got to this place that they are in now. Mm. Um, we might want to think about things in their past, patterns in the past, things mm. that have um, increased their difficulties, things that have decreased their difficulties. Um, and it's all with the aim of making it when we start to focus on the here and now and the future, mm. making it a bit easier to help them. Yeah. Um, so a, an important part of our therapy would be to focus on the here and now um, and to think about the goals for the future. Mm. Um, there's lots of really good tools out there that we use to, to help clients make, make achievable goals and, mm. and then be more likely to go on to achieve them. Um, yeah. I guess may, maybe maybe the slight difference might be our goals are more related to the therapy that they've undertaken yeah, yeah um although we do we do also focus on wider wider life goals as well mm-hmm. um, well i think uh, just what you were saying about um it being uh you do sort of tap in to look up for patterns and things like that i mean that spreads into coaching as well that's definitely a lot of what we do we don't shy away from the past you know we don't say you're not allowed to talk about anything that's ever happened to you in fact we use pre, pre past experiences yeah. to kind of inform the future um 
And sometimes the goals, you know, I think that's a common mis- misconception about coaching as well, is that um, it's only future focused and it has to be goals that are smart and, you know, mm, clear yeah, cut. Yeah. And, you know, you're going to run this marathon in, in three months time when actually for some people it's I want to feel a bit more confident in this area of my life. And this is what confidence mm. means to me. And this is, you know, the areas yeah, that I see it impacting. Yeah. And I think I think as well, um, in terms of saying it's all about talking about your past as well, it, Another myth about uh, the therapy I, I I can deliver is that it's all talking therapy. It's, mm. There's there's like I said, like I mentioned before, EMDR is a really it's not well it's not as new anymore. It's, there's lots of evidence out there now, mm. um, but it's a therapy that doesn't involve that much talking. Mm. Um, there's a lot more of uh, we call it bilateral stimulation, mm. um, so we can we can get the client to either follow a light that's moving mm. or to focus on sounds that are alternating in both ears um, and it's all about activating the brain and getting getting that bilateral stimulation going which really helps uh, desensitize and relax and then help them take a new perspective mm. on the things they've experienced so, mm. it's, so there's a uh, yeah, it's not all talking therapy, which is another myth uh, yeah. for my role, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating. And um, I know that uh, a lot of the work that you do and the work that you're currently doing is in trauma. And I know that I've been doing a bit of reading and some training around the link between trauma and, you know, that mind-body connection. Um, and this is uh, kind of springing, putting you on the spot a bit. But uh, um, it's great to see that there's more research coming out about that link. And... Um, and I've noticed that the link, that the, this is purely anecdotal, of course, but um, there's a lot more people that I come across who have things like chronic pain or mental health issues, uh, whereby they've experienced some form of trauma. And it's only recently that I've kind of come across the idea that trauma doesn't have to be this one traumatic event that happened. It's kind of like a biography that that kind of uh, is... Um, it builds up over time and you know just certain ideas can yeah. feel traumatic to certain people am i anywhere near what's yeah. <laughs> right there no it does no it does sound, yeah um I, I mean there's a few different points there but the one the one that you mentioned about in terms of one traumatic event mm. i'd say because at the moment most of my most of my case well if not 99 percent of my caseload mm. for the past few years have all been traumatised, mm. um, young people or adults. And I've not come across anyone that's only had one traumatic event. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, that I know there's research out there that's looked at, well, that's found that people who have experienced a traumatic event, in maybe in their early childhood, mm. are more likely to experience more. Yeah. Um, and there's a variety of possible reasons for that in terms of, is it the way they the, the cope with things? Is, yeah. it, um, is it the damage that that first event's caused? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's quite yeah it's quite interesting yeah I've never worked with anyone with just one traumatic event mm. but also the other the, another point you mentioned was around um, potentially around triggers and mm. things that can um, re-trigger them mm. Mm. so I, I mean there's lots of research out there again about um, all, all kinds of senses so something you can hear something you can smell mm. it can all re-trigger a, a traumatic event mm. um, and just cause these these consequences of this event to to come back mm. even even if it's felt fine for a number of years yeah it can, it can just suddenly come back yeah and I, I mean i'm going a bit off topic here but well not really but um it's fascinating that 
um, something that I was reading recently that, you know, somebody cannot realise or not have conscious memory about a traumatic event in their early childhood. Mm. But then later on, something, you know, re-triggers them and yeah. it becomes, it comes to the fore and, and suddenly they have all these feelings and, and you know, reactions to it. Yeah, and yeah. and when I, I'd say that comes out most times that I deliver EMDR. Mm. So, so that therapy is solely for trauma. Mm. Um, and... Yeah, I'd say 100% of the time, every time I've done it, they've always remembered new new memories, mm. more parts of the same memory. Mm. Um, but that, yeah, that's a, it's a just the way the brain tries to cope with some mm. things. Mm. It, it, it's like a survival. Yeah, survival, yeah. a survival mode. Um, and the way the way I like to explain EMDR is, EMDR is basically, if you imagine a library where all the books are off the shelf and mess, a huge mess in the library, mm. um, the EMDR comes along and tries to help your brain put the memories of the books back in the uh, in in the right place. Mm, that's um, a great way of and in the process, yeah, and in the process, the it can uncover new memories. Mm, right. um, that's fab. Right, I will <laughs> get back to uh, mental health in general because uh, the the topic of trauma. I'm sure I'll invite you back on in a few a few months' time to talk <laughs> it's about very that. Very interesting. That. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, so uh. Tell me a bit, because I know that you, you've talked about the multiple areas of your role, but um, I know that you've just started your own practice. So tell me a bit more about kind of what you're doing with that and where it's going. Yeah, uh, I'm, in, I'm in the very early, very early stage at the moment. Um, basically, I've noticed in my local area, that, as, as with most areas in the country, mm. the NHS is, uh, you, they usually have a very long waiting list for any, any form of therapy. Mm. Um, I think in my area, it's between six and 12 months wow. um, for CBT-based therapy. Wow. And even then, you only get a set number of sessions. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's not enough. Mm. Sometimes mm. You, it's not CBT that would be best suited. So, yeah, I've, um, I've just recently started to offer a a private therapeutic service mm. um, in my in my local area, mm. which is West Yorkshire. Mm. Um, so, potentially in the future, I might be going into the other areas that I've, got, I've I'm experienced in terms of maybe consultancy, maybe. Um, uh, delivering, conducting research, mm. uh, delivering training, mm. maybe. So yeah. Watch this space, everyone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and you talked about uh, so the EMDR is one thing that you we've talked about and CBT. Um, I know there's things like um, I can't think of what it's called now. Is it A, C T or A B T? I don't know the. I, look here. I, I, here I, I, I am I, using acronyms after we talked about not doing that. I've heard of something about acceptance. ECT. Oh no, I'm, no. Th- I'm thinking of EC, uh, uh. ECT, which is um, a very controversial uh, oh. therapy where electric shocks are delivered to the brain. Oh right! Wow. Okay. No, that's not what I meant. I'm not. I'm not implying that you uh, would be going into that. So, uh, with your practice, what I what that what I meant to say, what the eventual question was going to be, is uh, kind of what. Um, do you are you going to be offering on on uh, your service? Yeah, uh, at the moment it's uh, CBT based therapy. Um, obviously, there's not that many offenders living in the community mm. um, without other, without external or existing therapeutic support. So my my service is primarily for non offenders. Mm. Um, so people maybe with anxiety issues, um, depression, or maybe people who um, just feel like they need a bit of um, I don't know, help with coping, mm. just just might have might have experienced some difficulties in their life. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I um, there's that we can I can either deliver therapy in in their own home or um, we can hire out a, a room in um, in a local a local building. Mm. So it's uh, 
yeah, it's uh, it's not too inconvenient for people in mm. the local area, I hope. Mm, yeah, it sounds fantastic. And I think what you were saying about um, the... Uh, it doesn't have to be anxiety or depression. It can be just that they've got been going through a bit of a tough time or yeah. they need a bit of a top-up on, you know, coping with things. Yeah. Uh, that's another myth that... Uh, we're debunking a lot of myths today. Um, <laughs> that, you know, you have to have been diagnosed with a mental health condition to have therapy when actually... My personal belief is that everybody could do with a little bit now and again. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, our the the organisation I work for um, in in the, in work time. Mm. Um, I mean, a standard a standard of our, of our practice is not to usually diagnose. Mm. Um, usually, because like you say, you don't need a diagnosis for for therapy. Mm. Um, the I, I've come across occasions where it's beneficial to have a diagnosis. For example, if it would open up new sources of funding mm. or for or further support um, from the local authority. Mm. Um, but a lot of the time it's not, in, it's not important. Mm. Um, the main, the main issues, the main symptoms of, of whatever condition it is are the, are the important part. Um, and the part to be targeted by therapy. Yeah, and that's such a key thing to remember, isn't it? That um, I think some people, especially if they've been feeling really bad for a long time, is they can get kind of, they get this label and then, you know, I, I myself was guilty of it in the past, of kind of clinging onto that and this is my thing and I own it and I suffer from it and I, you know, rather than these are just some symptoms that I experienced today, this is changeable. Because I think you can almost become too attached to, yeah. to that. And, yeah, and, uh, and uh, especially if, I mean, if you're talking adolescents and children, especially, oh, yeah. um, there's so many, uh, I mean, I've come across many, many other professionals who sometimes will diagnose mm. these these people in these age groups when actually people's personality changes mm. until the mid-20s. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's always the possible possibility that that diagnosis will, will change mm. really quickly. Mm. Absolutely. So... Um, what kind of tips would you give for somebody who might be experiencing, say, low mood, or maybe they do have anxiety or depression, um, just to help them? Yeah, um, I mean, there's a, there's quite a few different things that people can do. Um, there's mindfulness, mm. um, which is, it's again, it's a relatively new, or it's increasingly, uh, increasingly widespread or, or well-known. Mm. Um but it's actually there's there's good evidence out there in terms of its ability to help people cope and, mm. and help people relax. The, I'd say mindfulness on its own is not enough though. Yeah. Um, it's more of a short term a short term fix and yeah. a short term benefit. Yeah. So it's something alongside other yeah. things that you can try. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, in I mean, in terms of the other things that you can do, you can, there's loads of goal goal based stuff. Um, there's there's something I use quite a lot of people with. A lot with people which is called the good lives model mm. um which although it was originally designed for use with offenders it's not it's not just for offenders mm. um it's it's the general aspects of life that everybody needs to to feel fulfilled and happy mm. um and there's there's so much research on that on that model in terms of the benefits it can have with anxiety with depression mm. um with so many so many different conditions mm. Mm. um i do i i would also urge people to think about the way they cope with things as well mm. um so the the coping styles and the coping strategies they use so the, the there's obviously a lot of unhelpful um strategies in it but it does depend on the situation mm. uh, and the the kind of styles and strategies should be aiming for if possible is kind of a problem focused or a perspective focused mm. which um in terms of perspective focus that just means 
having a consideration of what other people might think about that problem. Yeah, um, getting people to think outside of themselves. Yeah, for, yeah. which can really... I know, I know when, when people are facing a really significant problem, it can be so easy to, to kind of be fixated on your own perspective. Yeah. Um, and if you, can, if you can kind of really strongly encourage yourself to think about others' perspectives, it can be really, uh, really powerful. Mm. The, the other one, problem-focused, is um, it's, it's kind of mainly for people who might be stuck in avoidance. Um, okay. So I've so, been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I'm, I'm sure everyone has. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm against someone who can easily get stuck in avoidance, mm. and it's just about being aware of that. And if if your avoidance goes on for a certain amount of time, it can start to become damaging. Mm. Um, I'm sure everyone uses avoidance at sometimes, and that's totally, totally fine. Um, but yeah, it's just about being aware of that, and if possible, trying to think about what the actual problem is and trying to fix the underlying issue yeah, yeah. Um, it's so. about that self-awareness isn't it and about yeah. checking in with yourself and I think therapy coaching talking to a trusted person in your life can just be a gateway to get that self-awareness yeah. rolling and, and and that um that process of yeah, looking into yourself yeah it's so it's so easy to get stuck in a in an unhealthy cycle mm. um and like I say it's just about awareness and reflecting on that yeah yeah absolutely um and we talked a lot about, um, you know, people who might be suffering themselves, uh, although I'm trying not to say that word suffering because it, it does have yeah. those connotations, doesn't it? Experiencing that themselves. Again, language is just so yeah, important. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's just my thing. Uh, but what about people who uh, might be living with or caring for somebody who's experiencing uh, mental health issues? Yeah, I, I'd say a lot, of what, a lot of what I said in my previous answer applies mm. again. Um, but maybe also an aspect of kind of work-life balance. And I mean, I, I work with a lot of um, care workers, mm. residential care workers, who have, some have similar issues to, to what carers might have in, mm. in community settings. Um, so I'd say that a really important aspect of, of ha- kind of having a fulfilling and healthy life yourself is mm. just to make sure you've got that balance. Mm. Um, but also having a transition. Um, so there's lots of useful things people can do in terms of when they, when they finish work, or mm. when, especially if they're on shifts. If if they're doing shifts, that's even uh, it can it can have a mass, an even bigger impact. Mm. Um, but when you're finishing work and maybe starting to go into your own time, into time you've dedicated for you, for yourself, maybe just make sure you're if you if you wear work clothes, change work clothes, mm. maybe have some music, um, just anything to have that separation. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of people I work with uh, in terms of care workers they also have in their own time they find themselves going back to work or ringing work or thinking about work yeah um, and obviously it's natural to think about work sometimes but mm. if they can do if you can do anything at all to try and focus on your own things and your own life yeah yeah that would be really that is really beneficial and for people who are you know in relationships with people with mental health i think that idea of looking after yourself and making sure that you're okay um that it's not always about that other person and you know you're you're as equal and as important as person as the other person yeah definitely um and what you were saying about uh, those little things like changing your clothes and listening to music and what you mentioned before about mindfulness i'm a I'm a um, huge advocate for mindfulness at the moment because um, of that mind-body connection that we were talking about earlier and yeah. the fact that it's something quite small that you can introduce that 
it acts as sort of a trigger in a good yeah, way to to uh, yeah. give you I, that time. I mean, there's 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 so many positives of mindfulness. You don't need you don't need resources. You don't need money. Mm. You don't need a location. You can yeah. you can literally do it sat in your bed. Yeah, yeah. You um, can mindfully eat a raisin. I'm going to yeah. be recording some sort of a uh, little. Uh, workshop on that uh, for, yeah, for the people listening good. yeah okay so um i will bring sort of things to a close it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you and uh, we'll definitely bring him back on for some <laughs> uh some more stuff later um but i've been ending all of my podcasts with the same three questions uh, i'm gonna put you on the spot the so i dreading yeah <laughs> he knows it's coming uh so number one if you could have any superpower what would it be <laughs> Because obviously in preparation for this interview, I've had, I've had a look at this and this question I was thinking about for quite a long time. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many different options out there. But my answer is the ability to travel in time. Ooh. Um, because I, when I was thinking about it, I think with that with that power, with that ability, you could literally do anything. Yeah. Um, you could make changes. You can, if you need resources to make those changes, you yeah. can get those resources. Um yeah, strategic, I like it. Yeah, you can be you can be as more you can be as beneficial to humanity and people yeah. as uh, as any other power, I think. Wow. And um, if so say I, I've ding, I've granted you with this power, <laughs> uh when would you what was the first time that you'd be excited to go back to? Ooh. Um that's really I mean, you'd want to go I'd want to go back as far as far as you could. Just just because it'd be interesting. <laughs> the big bang. Yeah, yeah. Um but I honestly, I think I'd be going backwards and forwards, backwards yeah, and forwards all the yeah. time to to make as much difference as I could. Yeah, yeah, experience I'd, everything. It's probably exhausting. Yeah, I'd yeah. Probably, I'd probably need that work life balance. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Get yourself a coach or therapist. Uh, okay, question two. Interesting answer, by the way. Um, so, if you could invite anyone to a dinner party, dead or alive, real or fictional, who would you want there? Yeah. It's probably a boring answer to be honest. No, but go on. I, I was just thinking all of all family. Oh, um, yeah. the the ones the ones from generations ago mm. all of them around the table that'd be uh, that'd be interesting yeah <laughs> and for anybody who knows uh, the uh, my husband or <laughs> or Sam the the family resemblance is quite striking so <laughs> it'd be a room full of Keelys and and and, uh, all, and all, all twins yeah oh twins right okay. it'd be um, yeah it'd be very interesting wow. see how, see how maybe well, I think it was on on television the other day Daniel Radcliffe seeing his uh, one of his relatives, one of his real distant relatives, wow. and how similar they looked. Wow. So it'd be, uh, I imagine it'd be the same for us. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. <laughs> oh, interesting. I uh, I think I feel a bit overwhelmed at that dinner table. <laughs> okay. And finally, uh, what animal best represents you and why? This, again, was a really tricky one. Um, there's so many so many animals have got the, the downsides. Mm. <laughs> um, but in the end, I've gone for a bear. Oh, but not not because they're aggressive, but yeah. because I mean, because well, mainly because I've got a daughter, yeah, and I like to feel like I'm quite protective mm. in a good way, not not overbearing, but protective. Overbearing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, even, not that even intentional. <laughs> Sorry, that was my cheesiness coming through. Sorry, go on. Um, yeah, I just like to, yeah, I'd like to think I'm I'm strong and there for mm. my daughter. Um, that's Aww. the main reason I chose that animal. Oh, <laughs> and you know, I uh, I think 
if she's got a little teddy bear at home, she can think this is my this is my representation of my dad. That's sweet. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the no podcast. Problem. And uh, if anybody has any questions for Sam, uh, please just let me know and I'll pass them off through. And if anybody's interested in working with him, uh, he's he's open for business and, am, and yeah. uh, his practice is going to be thriving no, in no time, <laughs> I'm sure. So uh, that's been us today. I hope you all have a fantastic day and a fantastic week and uh, I will see you next time. Bye.